Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversation of Frontier Church, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. Today's podcast is going to be so, so, so helpful for us. I invited my friend Cody Hinton all the way to Des Moines just to record this one episode. Cody's a church planter, and he planted Paragon Church in Grinnell around the same time that we planted Frontier, and recently Paragon closed their doors. There is so much that we can learn from church plants that appear to fail by worldly standards. So I'd be totally surprised if you didn't find this episode to be a treasure trove of wisdom, hope, and encouragement. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. All right, bro. Let's freaking do it. Cheers. Cody Hinton, dude, I'm so psyched that you're here. Today. Me too. Me too. I was I was telling you earlier. I I saw that picture of you smoking your cigar in your car on the way to the podcast. Oh yeah, and I, it was good. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic. It was just a little guy, so yeah. just perfect time for the 40 minute drive. Little jealous, man. It's been a while since I've enjoyed a good cigar. Obviously, it's you know the middle of winter, and I don't think I have the same commitment level to you yeah. that, you know, when it comes to enjoying a good cigar. Well, but. I'm, I'm pretty blessed. I have a porch that I turned into a smoking room on my house. So like, it doesn't matter really the temperature outside or the conditions. I can still sit and smoke a cigar. So I try to get in one every day. Mm. Um, mm. but yeah, as I move, like we're, ambitious. we move out of our house into the, our next adventure, I doubt I'm going to have that same luxury. And so I'm trying to smoke as many as I can before I have to start looking <laughs> at the weather to determine if I can smoke a cigar or not. So, yeah. So dude, most of, uh, most of frontier church probably doesn't know who you are. I'm sure we got a couple people in our church who know who you are for sure. Um, obviously we go back like five years. Yeah. Um, but give us like, what's one thing, what's one key that unlocks Cody Hinton, obviously church planter or pastor, but you, you like cigars. What's another, what's another thing that unlocks who you are? Yeah. I'm cigars and guns, man. It's kind of my life, you know, yeah. outside of family and, and those kind of things, but those, those two things, and they're both expensive hobbies, but yeah, those two things are the things that kind of drive Cody Hinton cigars and guns. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Dude, that's sweet. And you planted Paragon Church, and we'll get around to that. Yeah. Um, but but first, th- dude, the last time we met was like a couple of years ago. Yeah, it's been a while. And the first time we met was doing church planting training in Ames through Send Network. Yep. Dude, good times. It was awesome, man. That was, yeah, some of the best. Was it six months or whatever? Six weeks? I don't remember. But it was good. Yeah, it was, it was you, me, Andy Norris. And was there a fourth? I think there was supposed to be, but then it turned out just to be the three of us. Okay. I think so. Was Cam Scott maybe going to jump in with that, he, even though he had already planted? He had already planted. And I think I think the plan was that he was going to be a part of it, but yeah, it never worked out. Sure. But yeah, yeah, definitely the four of us, or the three of us, spent that, a lot of times ripping yeah. each other apart and our ideas. And, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. I knew right away that I was going to get a kick out of you. And I knew right away that we were kindred spirits for a couple oh, yeah. reasons. Um, there's like the philosophical reasons why, like your vision for being a missional church. I was like, yes, your vision for being a gospel centered church. I was like, yes. But I think the first time that we trained together, you were wearing a Charles Spurgeon shirt. Oh yeah. yeah. I was like, this is Absolutely. my dude right now. Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah. I, that this thing you and I, like we, we connected on pretty much all theological, like all that stuff, philosophies, uh, you know, and I think there's even the connection where you are from a town that's like 20 minutes from where my wife grew up. Like you're from Hampton. My wife's from Sheffield. Yes. And so, yeah, there was also that connection too. like, you know, we kind of knew a little bit of the same people. Some of the worst days of my life were right? at your wife's hometown, man, <laughs> Sheffield. So you, you know, Sukup's, right? Oh Yeah. Dude, I worked two summers at Suco. Yeah, I was there for a year and then couldn't handle it anymore. Oh, that's right. Okay, yeah, we <laughs> yep. can talk about that. Yeah, it's it's brutal, man. Making making grain bins and grain silos is is no joke. Yeah, especially in that in that warehouse with no like 
temperature control at all. Mm-hmm. Man, the summers were so hot. I would sneak in my, we weren't supposed to listen to any music, obviously, because we're making grain silo and equipment, mm-hmm. but I'd always sneak in my iPod. Nice. And that summer, on repeat, I listened to Norma Jean's first album like a hundred times. Fantastic. You'd be like 6.30 a.m. making grain bin stuff, and I was just like bleeding out my ears because I was just <laughs> jamming heavy, heavy hardcore music. That is awesome. Had to get by, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to do something to get, get through those days. <laughs> did uh did anything stand out to you during our training together yeah man our training was really good what i think the thing that stood out to me the most as well like the three of us were very similar in a lot of our uh methodologies and th- like or not in the method but like philosophies and stuff and definitely visions mm-hmm. like the the different ways the three of us were all going to plant like we're very unique uh because of our context and all that kind of stuff and while you know i may look at what you had written down on your big old white you know sheets of paper and stuff and think yeah i don't know that would work where i'm at and -hmm. you would do the same thing for me and we would kind of tear into each other and like or question some of the things it all you know just came back to how all of us had a passion for the gospel seeing people reached by the gospel but in very different contexts. I think that was the thing that that stood out to me the most is that we could be different with the same mission and the same vision, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's and you're right. Cause it's like, it's really possible to have the same theology, same philosophy of ministry and to not copy and paste churches. Yep. You know, I just think that's, I think that's so cool that, that Jesus desires for his local church to be unified in who Jesus is and then diverse in their approach to doing church. Yeah, absolutely. So sweet, dude. Those are fun days. I'm a whiteboard guy. Yeah. So that's kind of like right up my alley is break. Well, I mean, my whiteboard's right here for the podcast. Yeah, for sure. I'm a whiteboard guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was telling you this before we hit record, but I, I think that you have such a valuable voice that our church plant can learn from because of your experiences of planting churches. I'm familiar with Paragon, but I know you planted in Council Bluffs before then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just love for you to to peel the curtain back a little bit and to just kind of let our church in on what it was like for you. You know, everybody who's a part of Frontier Church knows what it's like to be a part of our church plant. Yeah. But I'd love for you to peel the curtain back and just kind of let us into your experience of planting Paragon in, in Grinnell. What was it like? Yeah, I mean... Planting Paragon Church in Grinnell specifically was uh, some of the greatest uh, four years, uh, four and a half years, but also the most challenging, most difficult, painful, I think, years that my, me and my family have ever gone through. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was challenging. Uh, I remember... Uh, so when we planted Paragon, we planted with myself and another guy as kind of co-pastors. And before we launched, we took uh, us, so ourselves and our wives, down to Exponential in Florida, which is Exponential is a church planting conference, and it's massive. You know, fifteen thousand people show huge. up. It's huge, right? Francis Chan's preaching. Oh yeah, Matt it's, Chandler's yeah. preaching. My oh, wife, goodness. my wife went straight up fanboy because we were like. Th- six rows up from the stage when Matt Chandler was there and she's like, you know, getting ready to throw shirts at him and stuff. Like this. You know, crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's just straight up Dude fan, fan girl. Dude can preach. Oh my goodness. It was so good. So many good speakers and preachers, yeah, that, those yeah. things. But I remember we were walking through the massive bookstore area that they have and talking to a guy, I think at Crossway about this church planting book. He was recommending it to uh, our wives to read. And uh, was talking about the stories in it, and like in their first year, they experienced uh, heartache. They experienced uh, people leaving. They experienced pain. They even experienced like thoughts of suicide and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I remember my wife and my uh, my buddy's wife talking. And they're like, "Oh, that's not going to be us, right?" Uh, that's what I mean. Literally, I had the same thoughts, dude. Right. Like, yeah, oh, that's other jabronis. That's not going to be us. You don't know me. And literally everything he talked about happened to us within the first 18 months. Yeah. Like, you know, heartache, people leaving, uh, pain, loneliness, and even, uh, you know, thoughts and attempted suicides and stuff. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was crazy. It was painful, but it, it was the most rewarding. It was the most blessed. 
uh, some of the greatest four years of our lives. Yeah, the way the way that I sometimes describe it is, so church planting is my dream job. There's like literally nothing in the world that I would rather do than church plant. It's it's my dream job, yep. man. And so naturally, when you think about your dream job, it's almost like you picture a table with all of the all of the emotions on it, positive and negative. I thought that getting my dream job and planting a church would essentially sweep off the table all of the negative emotions. You know, sorrow, disappointment, sadness. Mm-hmm. But it didn't. What it did is it put a magnifying glass over all the pre-existing emotions on the table. So life got more joyful and more disappointing. Yeah. More happiness, more sorrow and sadness. It's just like it's having a front row seat to the heartbreak and also a front row seat to the joys of life. Yeah. I remember my uh, my buddy Daniel was talking to a guy about church planting and and even just going into ministry. And he looked at them and said, if you can picture yourself doing anything else— Go do it, because mm-hmm. like if you're not, if you don't see this as your only option for vocation, your only option for your life purpose, uh, you're not gonna do well. You're not gonna handle it well, and uh, because yeah, like you said, everything just gets exponentially greater. The the joys, the happiness, the pleasures, yeah, yeah. the pain, the sorrow, the suffering, it all increases at the same rate. Um, but it's worth it. Yeah, it is, dude. So you you guys close your doors a couple months. I don't want to rush to that part yet, yeah. though. So let's keep it towards the the beginning of your church planting experience. For you, did you have a moment where you realized, "Ooh, I bit off more than I can chew." That that moment where you realized maybe the guy who told me about church planting was Maybe he was right. Did you have a, a kind of a, a Mike Tyson? Everybody's got a plan until you got until you get punched in the face. Moment? Yeah, I remember. Uh, so like a year, maybe 14, 15 months in after our launch, um, we took a, a trip, uh, a pastors and wives and family trip down to Florida just to kind of get away. Um, like I said we we'd been going for a little over a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, and we're like, all right, we need to take a break. Let's just all get away. Let's kind of reconnect with each other as families, mm-hmm. reconnect as, as each other as, with our family. And then as a, a, you know, a planting, you know, pair. And so we went to Florida and we were hanging out down there. And, uh, I remember that's when, uh, Daniel's wife looked at us and said, everything that guy told us is true. Everything <laughs> that guy told us happened. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of when we realized that, yep, this is not what we expected. This yeah. didn't go anywhere like we planned, um, but it is what it is, and uh, God's still moving and God's still working uh, in ways that we never would have expected. And so, I think that was about the, that moment that we were like, "Yeah, this is this is not what we had planned for, but it's what we've been called to." Yeah, I, t- I mean, I totally had the field of dreams myth mm-hmm. that if you build it, they will come. Like I was like, if I preach, well, when when I was a high school English teacher, I always knew. That if I had the kids in my classroom, I had them. I was going to make sure. I was going to make sure that my class was their favorite classroom, Mm -hmm. made the most positive impact. So I remember thinking, yeah, I'm going to preach God's sovereignty in the gospel and people are going to come. And they didn't. Yep. Did you have a moment like that too where you're like, whoa? So, I mean, ours was a culmination of things. Like we were coming out of an ascending church that was connected to churches that had had tremendous success in church planting. Like we're talking Which is rare. Yeah. Rare, very rare. But we're talking like almost a hundred percent of their church plants plants at that time had succeeded, had grown, and were then planting churches. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're like, yeah, man, we're gonna knock this out of the park. We're gonna do exactly what everyone else did in this uh in this stream of church plants. And it's going to go exactly the same way. We built our budget based on that projection. Like we did everything. Like, all right, by year two, we're going to be rocking 250 people. We'll have, you know, three staff, full-time staff members, like all this stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, and we, we get there, we launch with like 86 people. Majority of them were from the town that we were planting in from Grinnell. And then. I didn't know you launched with 86 people. Yeah. Right, and then the next wow. week we were still up there, close to the the seventy to eighty you know people mark. You know, we were up there, and then all of a sudden, five months later, six months later, we're down to forty five. Mm-hmm. A year later, we're down to thirty two. Mm-hmm. Like, 
whoa, this is not going the direction it's supposed to go. This is going the opposite direction. Like we're supposed to be breaking the 100, 150 mark by now. Not because that's what all the other ones had done. Right. And yeah, so we got that, had that vision of this is, we're going to look exactly like all the other church plants in this network, in this partnership, you know, that we have coming out of. And all of a sudden a year in, a year and a half in, we're, the exact opposite. We're not doing anything that like they've done. Um, the context in which we're planting is vastly different. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And we like this, this isn't what we thought. This isn't what we projected. Uh, you know, we're a year in, we'd already cut our salaries once and we're talking about cutting our salaries again as paid staff because you know, our budget's just not looking good. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, eventually that gets us to the two year mark. And it's like, we don't have the funds to continue doing what we're doing. We've got to cut our salaries completely. Yeah. And so we, you know, at the two year mark, we decided we got to go bivocational or really co-vocational or whatever they call it, where we're not making a dime from the church and we're solely bringing income in from outside sources to, to provide for our families, you know? And so, yeah, it, it looks completely different than what we projected, what we thought, based on what we had seen, you know, in other, other church plants. And, uh, there were several, I mean, multiple times where it's like, man, this is, this isn't what we had planned on. Um, but every time we would get together and every time we'd get to that point where, man, this is, this kind of sucks. This isn't really what we were, what we were expecting. God would do something and God would show up and show us that he's bigger and greater than what our plans were. He's bigger and greater than what we had projected. And that, wow, it's a surprise to us. This is exactly what he had planned on. This is exactly Mm -hmm. what he had mapped out Mm -hmm. for us. This was exactly what he had ordained for our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Praise God for his sovereignty. Oh yeah. And for your awareness of his sovereignty. I dude, if, if I didn't have such a staunch theology around the sovereignty of God around mm. his greatness, his magnitude. I don't think we would have made it as far as we did. And I don't mm. think, mm. uh, I don't think we would have come out of this <laughs> in the way that we did at all. Dang. Dang, man. So when, when things looked a lot different year one, year two, um, obviously you love Jesus. And so you were anchored in him. And, yeah. and, and like you said, you were aware of his sovereignty and that he was, in control of everything happening in your church plant. Um, was there also another piece of you that was... One of the things that I find heartbreaking is getting your dream job and then feel still feeling ineffective in it. Yeah. Was it heartbreaking for you? Yeah. I mean, there's, as much as I, like I said, believed in and, and fully trust in the sovereignty of God, knowing that everything that happens is ordained by him and it, it goes exactly as he wants it to go. Mm-hmm. There were still times where my brokenness, my broken heart caused me to, to have, you know, anger towards him. There were multiple times where I'd be in my truck, uh, driving to work or whatever, and just being like, God, what the heck? Yeah. yeah. Like, why, why? All these other guys, you're blessing and you're you're doing this. Even you know other churches in our town that weren't doing well when we got here are now doing well. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to do what you call me to. Why? You know, you kind of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, was it Habakkuk who who has We're that in whole right yeah now, dog. has that whole thing of like just the whole book is him questioning God of Preach, like dude. why are you doing it this way and God's like because I want to do it this way because yeah. this is what I've decided to do right and that that whole thing of just God why why do you have to do it this way why does it have to be where it's painful why can't I just have a decent season for once you know hmm. and. uh you know, it always comes back to uh, the Chaldeans. Yeah, they're worse than Judah. Why are you using them? How could you possibly discipline us with them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. Those filthy heathens. Yeah, but yeah, um, that church down the road. Why are they growing? Yeah, for they don't sure. Even believe in the inerrancy of the scriptures. For sure. Yeah, it, there are multiple times, man, but it always came back to. Uh, you know, like where Job says, 
all right, God, I'm going to shut my mouth because I've got nothing else to say, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just going to trust. I'm going to, you are God, you are sovereign, you've created the stars, you, all that stuff. And whatever you want is what I'll do. And uh, I got to trust that you are good. And that's really what it all came back to is like, I've got to trust that he's good. Because if I didn't, yeah, if I yeah. didn't, you're right, man, his life wouldn't even be worth it. Yeah. And Habakkuk gets there in chapter three, like at yeah. the very end, but. It's been a helpful diagnostic assessment tool for me. Like, where am I at? Am I, am I at chapter one or chapter three mm-hmm. of Habakkuk? Yeah, for sure. Hmm. I uh, I was talking to another church planting buddy like last week, and uh, I was really struck by what he said. He's just closing the doors to his church plant. He's finishing faithfully, crossing the finish line really well. But he said that closing his church down, it felt almost as if he was mourning the death of a child. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally, totally understand that. Um, the last Sunday that we did with Paragon, um, like up until that point, those two weeks prior from the time that we announced it to the time that we closed the doors, you know, you're kind of in this, you're in this work mode of, all right, we got to do all these things. There's all these boxes that we got to check to get to this point. Right. And then, I remember uh, actually setting up that on that last Sunday with the group uh, and and realizing that this is the last time we're going to put this banner up. This is the last time that this backdrop is going to mm. be here, right? This is the last time that I'm going to serve in this capacity with this group of people, you know. And it it was it was it was emotional. It was. Um, it was painful. And then kind of at the end of that service, I, I kind of, I tried to encourage, uh, the, our church, uh, with, you know, the, this is what God had planned. This isn't a surprise to him. And then encourage them to go find faithful churches that they could plug into and, and all that kind of stuff. And it almost felt like, uh, it almost felt like a eulogy that I was giving. Oh, wow. At the end, you know, even though I'm trying to be encouraging, I'm trying to be uplifting. I'm also laying to rest this thing that we've been working so hard for, for the last four years. Hmm. I remember crossing the finish line in the sport of wrestling, and this is not the same. And I'm not saying in any way, I know what it's like to go through. I'm not, but um, I remember like my dream and goal as a wrestler growing up for 14 years was to win a state title. I thought it was in the bag. I had dreamt about it. I, that vision had sustained me through a lot of difficult winters and through a lot of difficult practices and through a lot of difficult weight cuts. And I just, I took it, I thought I was going to win state. And senior year, I choked in the semifinals. And I just was overwhelmed, not just by the sense of personal failure and personal disappointment, though definitely I was, I was heartbroken. But I also had like a keen awareness that my dad was disappointed in me. Mm. Um my dad's awesome. There's no reason I should have thought that. My dad was a wrestling coach, but I just had this overwhelming awareness that my dad's disappointed in me. I, I choked and I failed him. And I will never forget coming off the mat and seeing him and him coming over to me and hugging me and telling me he was proud of me. Yeah. It's like, I never thought that finishing like that would get that type of response from my dad. It's, it's one of like a top five meaningful moments of my entire life that I look back to to make sense out of reality. When you cross the finish line, did you go through that? Like, did you feel a keen awareness of the love of God and that he wasn't disappointed in you, but that he was proud of you? Yeah, definitely. It took a, a while. Like, yeah. I mean, you definitely, there's that struggle of, man, why do I suck so bad? Why couldn't I? what could I have done to do better? How could I have worked harder? You know, uh, there's all those, those thoughts and feelings and Satan tries to put that, uh, you know, those little whispers in your ear and, and, uh, man, of you're just a failure. You suck at this. Like you're not good enough. You know, you're not even like, look at you. You're so bad that God couldn't even do anything with you and, and all that kind of stuff. But then I remember, uh, the, the week after, uh, Chase Abner, who's, you know, part of our, uh, you know, conference and denomination and stuff. And he's, Gosh, a, I love that dude. I do too, man. He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but he calls me up 
And, you know, one of the, one of the feelings, one of the senses that you get is when you're closing something out, like a church plant, especially like when you've got a group like the North American mission board, when you got the send network who are investing like copious amounts of money into you and to what you want to do, you feel like, man, I really let them down. I really failed. Like I was a massive investment for them and I just blew it all away. And when I get this phone call from mm-hmm. him and he's like, man, uh, we just want to know, we want you to know that we love you. We're praying for you. We want whatever's best for you. And mm-hmm. that was just like, yeah, that's awesome. That, that sense. And that was just that, you know, while it didn't go as we want, as we thought it would, while it didn't go as what we planned, this is what God wanted. And this is how God chose for it to end. And, um, that's and, why I love Sun Network. Yeah, you're still loved. You're still wanted. Uh, you're still his. And yeah, that was that was fantastic. Yeah, man. I, I I'm an Acts 29 dude. I never thought that I'd be a part of a church that was in the Baptist Convention of Iowa. Never thought I would lead one. Right. And since becoming part of it and growing to know Tim Labinus and Chase Abner, dude, those guys make me want to be a part of Sun Network. And that conversation affirms everything that I that I believe and know about yeah. about the network that we're in, man. They're freaking awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And the fact that he's like, whatever we can do to help you, whatever we can do to assist you guys, you let us know. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why? I just blew like over a quarter million dollars. Like literally. I just threw it all basically in the trash and burned it. There's nothing that's gonna be shown for it. Which isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um but but you have those thoughts, yeah, man. yeah. From a worldly perspective or whatever, looking back on, it, you're like, that was a colossal waste of time. Hmm. Um, but and you you've had some time to process it now. And front, dude, we're gonna plant churches. Like Frontier Church is gonna plant churches. We we've already planted, sent out our first church planter. We we think that we're gonna plant in the next two years, probably in Ankeny. Um, Probably, if if the Lord wills it, we and we we tithe ten percent of our our internal tithing. To I mean, we give it right to church planting right away. Yeah. So we're all about church planting, and so we are going to plant churches that appear to be worldly failures. And the key word there is appear to appear be to worldly be. failures. Yeah. And so I would love for you to just riff on like, just let Frontier Church know why why was it totally worth it to plant a church even. If you closed its doors after three and a half, four years. Yeah. So I can answer this with what's we what God did through Paragon, but also I can answer this in the church plant before that. Before we went and planted at Paragon, we also uh, planted or tried to plant a church in Council Bluffs, Iowa. That one was a little bit different. It was more of a um like a restart or whatever. You know, like there was a church okay. there that yeah. we helped close its doors, but then tried to relaunch. But in both instances, like it turned out God called us away from it and there was nothing, there was no church, you know, left when we were done. Uh, and both in Council Bluffs and in Grinnell. But in both instances, there were people that were impacted. And so in Council Bluffs, there was a guy uh, that I met by working by, by vocational, working outside of the church. We became good buddies, and he was an atheist, like a uh, outspoken atheist. He and I would kind of have discussions about that, you know. And then just through sharing the gospel, loving him with the gospel and stuff, uh, over a course of a year and a half, sitting around smoking cigars together, mm-hmm. Jesus grabs his heart and saves him, right? And so, yeah, yeah, I was able to baptize him and all that kind of stuff, and literally, I. I was able to baptize him and and disciple him and all that kind of stuff. And then a month and a half after I baptized him is when we decided to, the Redeemer Church in Council Bluffs wasn't going to be a thing anymore. Wow. Right? Yeah. And then in Grinnell, we've got uh, families, multiple families that were on the verge of divorce, were on the verge of like just completely calling it quits. And yet, because of their connection with us, we were able to bring restoration through the gospel with them. Uh, we were able to, to see their lives turn around. Um, there were, uh, guys that we know that were former drug addicts that started attending and now they were able to get saved Hmm. radically by Jesus and get baptized and they're following him and they're loving him. Um, that's sweet, bro. We've had, 
Dude, one of the hardest parts is, especially with Grinnell, is having people come into the church, invest for a little bit, and then leave, right? It's always tough. It's always difficult because you're like, crap, why are you leaving? But we've had so many that came to to Paragon that would get invested, that would uh, start serving, and then through uh, Jesus working in their heart, through the gospel and stuff, they would all of a sudden realize that God's calling them to mission. We've had three people from our church in Grinnell go down to seminary and have, enter into the mission force, right? Whoa, dude. And so, weird. like, while we look back now and there's nothing in Grinnell left to show physically for Paragon— Mm-hmm. There are lives and there are people and there are families that have been impacted and a legacy that will be left yeah. Um, that, yeah, you, like you said, you can't tangibly see it, but you can, you can see it in, in the lives of people. You can see it in the, these families that are, have been restored because of it and, how, and seeing the gospel work, you know, um, Grinnell was a very, uh, very kind of dark place when we came. Uh, mm-hmm. There was there was bad blood between a bunch of the churches, and all that kind of stuff. And then how big is Grinnell? Uh, nine thousand, a little 000. over nine thousand, okay. right? Uh, and there was a couple, you know, gospel preaching churches that some things had happened in in their history, and so there was some kind of bad blood, and it also left uh, kind of a bad taste for church in the community. And one of our goals, one of our missions there, in entering into Grinnell, was say we want to help restore those relationships of those churches they're gospel preaching churches there's no reason why they should be fighting each other wow right yeah. and and our last couple events that we did community events we had all of the churches together no way serving together like Dog. loving the community and it's like okay that was worth it bro that's awesome you know uh so it's just those kind of things the things yeah. were and those are the things that when i look back and I, yeah i mean the hurt and the pain stands out kind of the most but you look back and God constantly kind of flashes those things in my memories to say, no, I, I was doing things. I was making it, you know, what I wanted to make it. And I was making the gospel move and, and change people's lives, you know, in spite of you. And, uh, yeah, uh, it was awesome. I, I had this thought this morning, kind of, I was actually thinking about our conversation and then I got this message from a church member. This, this message is great. It's everything. It's funny. It's, all, it's deep. It touched on my heartstrings. Um, but So I got this message from a church member. She said, this morning while my daughter was eating breakfast, she wanted to play church. So she pretended that her dad was Pastor Cole. <laughs> I would love to see his Cole impression. We sang songs complete with instruments and we're reading through the biggest story for our church service. She's been asking a lot of questions about God over the last week or so. She asked me before bed, bed one night if God poops. <laughs> and, it's fantastic. And, yeah, I mean, you got to know. And, and, and one question led to another, and we talked about heaven and hell and prayer, and I got to share the gospel with her. Thanks for the faithful teaching of the truth every week. I can only imagine this has been a difficult time to be a pastor. We're praying for you, and we're thankful to be part of a, church, a, a part of Frontier Church. And um, when I read that message, we're healthy right now. We're moving in the right direction. We're planting churches. Um, but when I read that message, I was like, you know what? God could put the kibosh on Frontier Church today, and it would all be worth it just yeah. because of that one conversation. Yep. A, a little girl having an experience with a local church like this that makes her want to recreate it yeah. in, in, um, in, her, in her own house. and listening to compelling preaching of the gospel that makes her wonder if God poops or not, and then leading to the parents sharing the gospel, I was like, that's all the impact I ever needed. I don't need to teach at conferences. I don't need to be a big voice in Christianity. I just want to have an impact like that. Yeah. you know, Man, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It that's was just, so it awesome. It was really rewarding. Really rewarding. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Does God I just think that... Wherever the gospel is preached, it's worth it, regardless of how the world responds to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, and we're promised that. Like, we're promised that in Scripture. The Word of God will not return void, you know? That's right. That's right. And, uh, and so that's really all that matters. It's like uh, Paul tells the elders of Ephesus, you know, when he knows that he's getting near the end, and he says, I have 
I've washed my hands of, of your blood. I have preached the truth in all of its capacity to you. And that's all I can do. And I mean, while there are things that I look back and say, man, I wish I'd done this differently. I wish, I wish maybe we had gone this route instead. I, I can honestly look back and say, we faithfully preached the gospel. Mm-hmm. We displayed the gospel in our lives mm-hmm. uh, as a family and as, as men. Um, there's not much else we could have done, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. that's, that's what really matters. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit delight in the preaching of the gospel. Yeah. The, the, only, the only missional failure that really exists is mission where the gospel isn't preached. Yeah. Like, to delight and glorify God, he loves to hear the story of the gospel preached. And so even if the people in front of me are unmoved by it, or even if my unbelieving friends reject it, or even if my preaching of the gospel doesn't fill the church, it still delights the triune God to hear it. And that means that every dollar, every hour, yeah. every drop of sweat, totally worth it to delight Absolutely. my God. Absolutely. Man, that was one of the biggest um, moments, I think, of clarity that I had, I've had in church planting is the realization that there's nothing I can do to change people's lives. There's mm-hmm. nothing I can do to really have an impact. Mm-hmm. No matter how eloquent I, I speak or uh, ineloquent or whatever, how charismatic I can be, nothing I can do is going to impact somebody. It's only going to be the Holy Spirit. It's only going to be Him taking the gospel and penetrating into someone's heart with it. It's only by His movement that anybody ever gets changed. I'm just a vessel that God chooses to use at times. Right. Yeah, man. Church planting reveals that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's humbling. It's not in theory. so many ways. It's not theory when you're a church planter. For sure. Like, man, I busted my freaking rear end on this sermon and people yawned at it. Right. And then you're like, oh, man, I scrapped that together last minute. And people were moved for the glory of God by it. And you're like, <laughs> you're just like, oh, Lord, I am putty in your hands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Ah, dude, man, the, some of the greatest times that I was up there, and I felt like I just nailed it. It's just like no one remembers it. You know, no one remembers what I said. And yet, the times where I'm like, "Wow, man, I really blew that one. I wasn't in it. I was tired. I didn't really care." And then people are like, "Man, God used you." And I'm like, "No, God just did something. He didn't use me at all. Like He did something <laughs> in spite of me." And yeah, <laughs> he used me like a trick shot right there. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you do you wish that you would have done anything differently? And you kind of hinted at that a couple couple minutes ago. You you heralded the gospel, so you did the thing. Yeah. Anything peripheral you wish you would have done differently? I mean, there are tactics, methodologies, whatever term you want to use, mm-hmm. that we would have definitely done differently. One of the things, and this is one of the challenges I think in planting with a network like Send Network and stuff, and it's not. Uh, any fault of theirs, but there is a sense of of constraint in a timeline. You know, because you you've got mm-hmm. you're going to be given so much money for a certain period of time. You kind of feel like you have to to get something done in that period of time. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I wish, looking back, uh, that we had done differently is is just taking it slower. Right. I wish that hmm. I wish that we had not launched right away. Uh, at least a, a corporate service. Uh, I wish we had gone in with the mindset of being bivocational, not being full time in ministry right away. What, what what was your timeline? You moved to Grinnell, and then a couple so, months later, you launched on Sunday. Yeah. So, wow. uh, what was it? Twenty fifteen. Um, in August of twenty fifteen, I go on staff at New Heights Church in Indianola as mm-hmm. their church planting resident. Um. April uh, of 2016, uh, I'm having conversations with Daniel and his family about becoming the, my co-pastor and coming alongside me. Uh, June, we move to Grinnell, and September, we launch. And so, like, and Daniel and his family, they came from Alabama. They literally spent three days in Grinnell, found a house, and then two months later moved into that house. And then a month later, we're doing our first preview service. What? That's like, 
I mean, that's like totally like an Andrew and Tracy self. They didn't do the same timeline, but Texas to Iowa in the middle of winter, yeah. Bama to Iowa, that's crazy. It's insane, you know? I mean, and I had been traveling to Grinnell for a year prior to moving there, you know, spending two or three days a week there, um, you know, you know, six, eight hours a day, you know, or for the most part, trying to get to know people and connect, but you can't unless you really live there and you're doing community events, just sitting at a coffee shop, you know, isn't going to really connect you with the community. It connects you with some people, but you don't really get a, a real deep connection with the community as a, as a yeah, whole. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I thought I'd be able to do more in coffee shops than I can. Right. Um, and so that was, I think that was our biggest thing. We, we wish that we had moved in, maybe taken a year and a half, two years of just being in this, the community, becoming part of the community, investing in the community, you know, going to sporting events, you know, going to kids, you know, concerts and things like that. And just getting to know people, you know, loving our neighbors, right. Getting to know them. Yeah. And then, you know, in that time frame, begin to start maybe some, some gospel communities in our homes, you know, talking with people about Jesus and, you know, just getting to love people. And then, so we, at the end of it, of our time at, at Paragon, we kind of started talking in terms of, of milestones instead of timelines, you know, like we wish mm-hmm. that we had, mm-hmm. instead of saying, okay, and at this date, we're going to do this. And at this date, we're going to do these, um, you know, we're going to launch, we're going to have our preview service here. We're going to have our launch date here. We started saying, we wish we had done milestones. So like when we had a, uh, a small group that was running 40 adults, then maybe we'd look at doing two, right? Yeah, yeah. Multiplying. When we get to two or three different uh, small groups meeting throughout the city, we'll look at starting a uh, corporate service. Yeah, that's what we did. We waited right? until we hit three CGs and then we launched publicly. Yeah. You know, and so we wish we had done that yeah. and had milestones instead of timelines. Um, you know, but you've, you, we had this mindset, like I said, we had looked at other church plants. We had looked at and saw what they had done, you know, with the the big launches and the, you know, all that kind of stuff and and all the equipment. And so instead of instead of dropping thirty forty thousand dollars on trailer and equipment and all these other things, you know, we look back and say, man, I wish we would have, you know, maybe just waited and and got things as we needed them instead of buying a whole church in a box, you know, all at once. Mm. Uh, and, and just, you know, invested that money differently uh, instead of, cause we went from having a budget that was 90% going towards salary and Sunday services in our first year to by the last two years of Paragon, 90% of our giving was going back into missions and wow. only 10, crap, 10 to 50, maybe it was 85, 85 to 90% was going back out into the community yeah. and in church planting yeah. and stuff like that. And then 10 to 15% was actually for functional church stuff, right? Because that's what we, we realized that while we came in thinking and saying that we were going to be a missions-focused church, missions-oriented church and, and gospel-centered, we were really a Sunday service church. Hmm. And that was our focus. Hmm. Um and it was taking uh, so much of our time. It was actually, I was at a um, the orientation in Atlanta at the NAM Send Network orientation thing. And I remember sitting there listening to a couple of the guys, which that alone was one of the things that told me that NAM and the Send Network is amazing. Yeah, um, but yeah. one of them. Um, but I was sitting there and I remember it, it, listening to this breakout session and texting back to Daniel, who's back here in Iowa, saying, man, we say we're missions focused why is so much of our resources, our time and our energy Mm -hmm. focused and set on an hour and a half on Sunday morning? If we really are about the mission, if we really are about the community, we need to flip that. Mm. Uh, And that's when we kind of started making those changes, you know, going by vocational and and all that kind of stuff. Um, But yeah, so there's those kind of things. I like, I wish, I wish we were by vocational from the beginning. I wish that we hadn't allowed, um, our sending church DNA and kind of like the network that we were a part of to influence us so much. Oh, that's interesting to hear. Um, I wish we'd allowed the context to speak to us more yeah. than what we did. There um, was tension there. Like, 
I don't want to position you, and I know that you you love the network, and you don't want to say anything poorly about it. So I don't want to I don't want to like pull I don't want to twist your arm or anything like that. Yeah. But but there was tension between needing to reproduce the chain, yeah, as opposed to needing to reach the community. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there, wow, there was this mindset that you know you've got to do certain things a certain way instead of being more organic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with it, which I know that's like a, a cliche term right now, uh, especially in church planting, but it, hopefully it, it stays that way. Hopefully it, more people are talking about it. So that it I, I do a too. I do too. Like, um, I mean, this podcast is called worship local. Yeah. And uh, that's the thing. Like it needs to be when we're planting churches and when you guys, you know, plant more churches, I hope that that's one of the things that, that maybe you guys will take away from this is that, allow the context really of where you're planting and who's planting to dictate more of what the church will look like, especially allow the context of the community to dictate instead of, I mean, and this has really been kind of an issue that the, the church, you know, globally, uh, or Western church at least has had an issue with for, for several decades, even centuries is we've wanted to, to kind of cookie cut these churches, you know, we used to do it with mm-hmm. missions, you know, we would go to Africa and, and put up these white picket, you know, or white buildings with a steeple on them in the middle sure. of Africa. Yeah. And it's like, that doesn't fit in Africa. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right? And so finally, you know, NAM or IMB and all that kind of stuff kind of realized that and started changing the way they were planting churches and started doing more indigenous church planting. And when you do the same thing, I think here mm-hmm. in, in the mm-hmm. country uh, is allow our church planters to be more, indigenous to the context in which they're going um, and allowing them to, to have that freedom. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the church needs to be ma and pa shops and not Walmarts. Yeah, they for need, sure. People need to worship local. Like Absolutely. People, people need to be worshiping in a context that's, that is not just a cookie cutter from some church on the West coast who says that you need to, you know, plug and play this way. Yeah. Like, I'm just not down with that model. Dude. Absolutely. I, I mean, and the challenge is, especially for church planners is we look at guys, you know, like, uh, Andy Stanley and Matt Chandler and, and you know, uh, JD Greer. And we see these guys who have been plugging away for, you know, 15, 20 years and have this mega church. And we think, Oh, if I just do exactly what they're doing, I'll have the same thing. And not realizing that no, no, 20 years ago, they were sitting in someone's home talking about what could be a church yeah, and started yeah. out with just 20 people meeting at a McDonald's mm-hmm. or whatever. And it, it took faithfulness and, and uh, toil to get to where they're at today, you know, and the blessing of God. Um, but yeah, we have that, uh, that challenge of wanting to like, just do exactly what we see in these big, big mega churches and say, if I just do that, if I have, yeah, yeah. if I have a great band, a cool light show, you know, and a, a charismatic preacher, then I'll have a thousand people within a year, you know, and, and it just doesn't work that way. You know, <laughs> no, 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 the gospel is about connecting with people in people's hearts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's not about, uh, big flashy flashiness. Like it's just not, it's just not, dude, you're totally right. And as you, as you planted, did you feel, um, do you feel misunderstood by your church plant as a pastor? Like, is there anything that you've had some time to kind of look back on your experience of church planting? Is is there anything that you wish your members would have known about what it's like to be a planter? We're weirdos, dude. Church I know planters we are. are weird dudes. We are. Uh, it takes uh, a, a little bit of insanity to do what we're doing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I... I don't know. I, I think, I think there's this misconception of, of, I think ministry and pastoring in general of that. It's an easy gig that, Oh, you're just, you know, most of the time you're sitting behind a desk, reading through scripture and commentaries, preparing a sermon, you know, and then hanging out at coffee shops and stuff. Um, when in reality, like the majority of your time is spent, uh, struggling with your own demons Mm-hmm. on top of struggling with other people's demons who are wanting you to be the person to guide them and 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 the idea that uh you need to have the answers and help me figure this out um that it we're not always going to be that guy you know we're not always going to be the one that is going to tell you exactly what you want to hear um because sometimes we don't know sometimes you know we can just tell you what the gospel and tell you about the gospel and hope that that, that makes some kind of impact in, in your life. 
but that it's struggle and that as even in a church of a hundred, 150, there's still loneliness. Like mm-hmm. you feel isolated. You feel, uh, on an Island, like, uh, you know, because no one else really is experiencing what you're experiencing. Um, even with elders and even with co-pastors and stuff like that, you can't necessarily go to them and say, Hey man, I'm struggling with this all the time. Or like, there's that feeling that you can't, Yeah, you yeah, know, that lie, that whisper yeah. of man, if, if I show any kind of weakness, then I'm not leading well. Um, so because there's it sometimes gets used against you. Oh yeah. People, people will take advantage of your weakness and use it against you sometimes. Absolutely. Is, and that fundamentally changes the core temperature of a human being. Yeah. When you experience that. Um, dude, like this is a little bit off topic, but like a year in, we had a, someone who had, had been coming to the church and they had been attending and volunteering and like they're plugging in and like a switch flipped in them and all of a sudden it revealed that they were really a wolf coming in trying to destroy oh, things right yeah, yeah. Uh, and it tore a rift between uh, my wife and uh, co-pastor's wife our families even they were trying to do put rifts between me and my wife and my co-pastor and his wife and like there there are people out there that um, that Satan wants to use to destroy what it is you're working for and what God's trying to do Um and it's 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 hard. I mean, it's it's a struggle constantly to to feel the pressure and the weight of the gospel that you're you're proclaiming, mm-hmm. but also uh, the weight of, and responsibility you have uh, as a shepherd over uh, you know your church. And I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but no, you're right on track, dude. Uh, it is. I mean, I wish, I wish people would understand that that it's as joyful as amazing as it is to be doing what we've we've been called to do. It is the most painful, most struggling, uh, hardest time uh, you know that you could go through, and uh, yeah, and we we can easily put on a front that we're. We're doing well, especially mm-hmm. when we're up there every Sunday preaching and stuff. Um, and while it may look like we're doing okay up there behind that pulpit, behind you know the the microphone, um, most of the time we're not. Most of the time, there's something that we're dealing with, some kind of struggle, whether it's in our own self or we're hurting or dealing with something for someone else. You know, because um, being a church planter means being in the mess. Uh, being in the the muck of people's lives, mm-hmm. um, and and that gets dirty, uh, yeah. and, and it's a struggle. But you're you're deeply misunderstood as a pastor, and it's not because of you, and it's actually not because of church members. Yeah, it's it's because of a really unique thing that's happening that you hinted at, which is there's almost nothing in the world that I love more than preaching. My church, the majority of the exposure they have, I mean, I counsel people and shepherd people, but the biggest exposure they have to me is when I'm preaching, Mm -hmm. which means that when people see me most of the time, they see me doing the thing that I love to do the most, and they think that's who I am. Yeah. And you're just seeing me do the thing that I love most in the world. If my main exposure to you was to see you doing the thing that you love most in the world, I would never think that you were wrestling with any demons either. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like it's it's a no fault car accident. I feel like the misunderstood church planner is a no fault car accident. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, a couple of sermons um, that lent themselves to being a little more open, a little more vulnerable, and uh, or you know talking about sins that I was struggling with, you know, or or uh, opening up about some of those struggles and. And, and remembering people, you know, from the congregation saying that that was some of the most awkward sermons they've been in, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, man, I'm just Stuff, I'm just trying to be real with you. I'm just trying to tell you, give you a, a glimpse into reality of my life that I'm, you know, just because I'm up here doesn't mean I have it all put together. It doesn't mean I'm, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that I'm somehow 
more mature spiritually or that I'm better than you. I'm just the one who got called to do this at this time, you know, and, uh, and to be open and vulnerable with them, uh, made them uncomfortable, you know, mm-hmm. cause I think it was shattering this, this idea, this notion that they have of, of pastors. Like you said, they get to see us at our best, you know, for the most part. Uh, and when they realize that there is pain and brokenness there, it doesn't correlate. It doesn't seem to mesh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it changes the temperature of a church when, when people in your local church are, are, um, acquainted with that truth and really believe it and take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Cause like one thing that's really hard about being a church planter is hearing people go all in and commit and say, bro, I'm all in on this church. We're going to ride or die, man. We're taking this way all the way. And then the smallest thing goes wrong. They don't like one sentence from your sermon. They don't like one little decision that the church makes, and they're freaking gone. Oh, yeah. They ghost. When you experience that, you start to see people differently and view people differently, and your trust starts to look differently. But I think if people would take seriously, and I think Frontier does, I, I do feel pretty understood by our church. But I think when churches do take that seriously the amount of grace is way different than if you say one thing I disagree with, I'm out of here. All of a sudden it's like, no, we should expect that from somebody who's not Jesus and mm-hmm. is battling with demons and is by the grace of God, imperfect, but, but faithfully leading this church changes your church. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I know that's one thing that, that really kind of impacted us, uh, is just the amount of people that we saw come and go. Um, like we knew that going to a college town, it was going to be very transient and mm-hmm. that, you know, professors are, are coming and going all the time. Students, you know, they're only there for, you know, four years, you know, uh, and stuff. And so we knew that, but like to experience that in a church, um, where like literally there was one, maybe, maybe three people, that were there from the beginning and there at the end, you know, and like I said, we, we launched with 80 some people. And over that course of the time, we, we would average 40, 45, 50 mm-hmm. on Sunday mornings, you know, and stuff, but it was never the same. Like every few months, it would seem like there'd be a different family that would come in because mm-hmm. another family had left. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it does, it, it causes, it can cause you to become calloused and, and start to close people off. You know, and and not trust people because you're like, oh, they're just going to be gone in a few months. I'm not going to open up to them, you know. And then about the time that you do open up is when they're like, oh, we're out, you know. And for us, even a lot of it wasn't they were leaving because they were mad at the church. Some of them were just leaving because God called them somewhere else, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and just there's beautiful reasons to leave absolutely, the but the amount of people who ghost, yeah, that's hard. Yeah, they just all of a sudden they're just gone. You're like, and, you're like, dude, you're like praying your guts out for these people, like thinking about them as you're preparing your sermons. And then you realize that they just bailed and didn't even tell anybody. Yeah. And you reach out and you send a really godly email like, hey, love you guys. Go get them. I just want you to know that I'm for you. And you don't hear anything yeah, back. Crickets. And you're like, bro. Crickets. Wow. Yeah. You left me on red. I mean, yeah. it's like, what? What, 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 did I, what did I say? What did I do? You know, and, and again, Satan uses those things to say, man, you suck. Mm. You really suck, mm. man. People don't like you. And, uh, but yet you just realize, all right, this is what God had in mind. This is what God had planned. It was their time for, for, to leave because this is what he wanted. Um, and like it, it all goes back to that, that deep rooted belief in the sovereignty and goodness of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and seriously, man, if, if I didn't have that, uh, I don't know. I don't know what it would look like today. I don't know. We would definitely wouldn't have made it four years. Hmm. Uh, and I mm-hmm. definitely, I don't think I definitely have the, the confidence in my future. Like I do right now, even in a time of, I have no idea what's next for my family and I none. Like hmm. we're in a time of limbo and, and my wife and I just keep looking at each other and be like, where do we go? What's God doing? You know? And, and not even willing to commit to, a 12 month lease on a, a townhome or apartment because we're just not sure. 
you know, and so, but yeah, we know that God's good. And bet, uh, how many kids you have? We got three. Dude, I bet it was so healthy, and I bet it's so rooting for your kids to see you give up everything to plant a church and then close its doors and keep worshiping Jesus. That's like the best gift I can imagine that you could give to your kids was for them to see, man, worshiping Jesus is more than just about leading a church to my dad. My dad loves Jesus when he's pastoring. My dad loves Jesus when he's planting. My dad loves Jesus when he even has to close the doors of the church plant. That's got to be so good for them, man. Man, I certainly hope so. I bet they're so proud of you. I mean, they probably don't have the language to say that, but I I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. That one of my prayers in all of this is that, uh, this time doesn't cause them to have bitterness towards the church. Hmm. I, I mean, I pray that constantly. Like, I don't want them to, to come out of this process. Like I know some, you know, church planter kids do with a, a bitterness or a hate for the church. Like yeah, yeah. the church put my dad through this, you know, or my family through this. And I pray that that doesn't happen. I pray that, that they, like you said, they see the goodness of God and that, uh, that he is still worthy of worship in spite of this. Have you, have you thought about the legacy that, I mean, you've got these 40, 50, 60, 80 people that you've provided soul care for over these last couple of years. And they're no doubt like tremendously precious to you. And now they're worshiping at other churches. What do you want the legacy of Paragon Church to be for those people? Man, I, for me, if they can look back and just remember or, or think about their time with Paragon, and if they can just say, man, I experienced the gospel when I was there. I experienced the love of Jesus mm-hmm. while I was there. Man, that, that, that's it. That's that would make it worth it. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, even care. Would, wouldn't it? You know, twenty years from now, if they're if they're sitting there thinking, "Man, I was doing what was that church I was going to? Well, who was that pastor that was there?" If if they don't remember my name, they don't remember even Paragon Church, but they just remember, I remember in 2017, I experienced the love of Jesus in this time. Hmm. I mean, that's that's worth it. Yeah, I remember bumping into people in college and uh, people who grew up in the church. Now, here's. The majority of dudes that I met at college talk about their church experience was like super. It was them saying, you know what? My my church was like pretty spiritually dry. And they were just kind of all about the law and legalism and looking polished in front of people, blah, 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 blah. And that made me really think about what I want the children at Frontier to say about Frontier in 15 10, 18 years when when they're in college. And Mm -hmm. I would love it more than anything in the world if 15 years from now, these kids were at college and their friends were like, hey, what was church like for you growing up? And I would love it if they were like, you know, the pastor was kind of kooky. He was this weird, sparkly-eyed short dude, and he was pretty crazy, and I don't agree with everything he said, but the dude loved Jesus. Yeah, I would love that. That would be everything. That would be enough. I don't need them to be like, yeah, I'm a uh, Reformed Baptist who adheres to the 1689 London Baptist Confession. I mean, that'd be sweet. That'd be dope. Right. Um, but if they're like, yeah, dude was a weirdo. I don't agree with everything. But that dude, was, he experienced joy in Jesus. Yeah. That, for me, would be the legacy that I'd be satisfied with. We had really cool discussions over whether God pooped or not. <laughs> I know um, I, I know that you don't worship with Frontier and you don't know most of the people in our church, but as, as we kind of wrap this up and bring it to a close, is there any way that you would encourage us? Ah, man. Stay faithful. Mm-hmm. Uh, stay faithful and know God is good um, no matter what happens, no mm-hmm. matter what what events take place, no matter if, if and when you guys send out a church plant and two, three, four years after it launches, they have to close their doors. Mm-hmm. Know that God is good. Know that that was worth it. Um, I mean, yeah, just God, God has a plan and a purpose in everything that happens. Um, it's always, like he says, man, it's always for our good. It's always for his glory. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, that's, if you can remember that, if you can hold on to that truth, if that becomes mm-hmm. central, I think that's it, man. That's, that's all I could say. Cause it's not going to go the way your life isn't going to go the way you expected it to church planting is not going to go the way you guys expect it to. 
you know, hmm. and, uh, but God is still good and it's always worth it. It's always worth it to share the gospel. It's always worth, worth it to live out the gospel. Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, dude, thanks so much for open. I, I love you, brother. This was good to hear. You Me know, too, man. four and a half, five years ago, there were a couple of times I had the fleeting thought when we were training together, like, Oh, I wonder if Cody and I will plant together. So like, I love you, man. And I really appreciate you opening up to our church. And I know that this has been really valuable to everybody in our church who's listened to this. Yeah, I pray so. I pray it is. Cool, cool. Appreciate you, brother. Hey, church, we love you. Um, I know that this has been valuable to you in as much as it's been really, really valuable to me. The fact that God works in church plants this way and that you can plant a church and have it plant more churches or plant a church and have it faithfully cross the finish line after three years. And God is still glorified in that. So we love you guys. And this Sunday, can't wait to worship local with you.